podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Renee Cariel, an internationally renowned keynote speaker who specializes in diversity, leadership, and culture. His clients include Google, the World Bank, Barclays, and Ikea. He has worked with Prime Minister David Cameron, Sir Richard Branson, and Nelson Mandela. His latest book, Spike, is leading the strengths-based revolution. Thanks so much for joining us today, Renee. Matt, it's my privilege to be with you. It's really good to be here. I'm going to kick us off with a question about your origin story. So I read that you started your career in IT at a retailer, then you moved to Pepsi, and you're now seen as a leading expert on leadership, diversity, and inclusion. Was there a defining moment that you look back on in getting you to the place that you are today? Yes, there was. So it's, it's, a, it's a story. So I spent 10 years at Marks & Spencer's, which was a British retailer. They taught me everything about management, but not so much about leadership. Then the phone rings and it's Pepsi and they're looking for a board director. I just knew they'd got the wrong person. It was never going to be me. As life would have, I'd never been in a boardroom. I got the job. Before I know, I'm in Purchase, New York. It's April 1992, BG, before Google. Hmm. And on my very first day of work, as life would have it, it was a board meeting. So I'm in the boardroom on the board of Pepsi, and I'd never been in a boardroom before. I'm shaking hands with my colleagues. And in those dark days of April 1992, there's seven of us on the board, seven men, hmm. all American apart from me. I didn't look like them. I didn't sound like them. We're shaking hands, getting to know each other. And the door bursts open and in walks Larry, hmm. chief executive. And Larry says, gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to our new board director, Rene Carriol. Let me tell you a little bit about Rene. Larry has no notes. Larry has no Google. And Larry starts to tell my life story. Rene's parents left Gambia in West Africa in the early 1960s, heading for London, the mother country. They're a British colony. He talks through my education, junior school, high school. He talks through my university education, no notes, no Google. I did nine different roles at Marks and Spencer's in 10 years. He talked through every one of them in chronological order, named them wow. all. No notes, no Google. Matt, guess how he was making me feel? This was unbelievable. No one had made me feel that way before. He finishes up and having introduced me, made me feel part of a family, made me feel I was part of something special, gave me someone to believe in. It lasted three, four minutes. No, it's lasted me a lifetime. In that moment, he taught me everything about inclusion. There's nothing else I needed to know. I belonged, I felt, I felt part of a family in three or four minutes. To this day, I don't know how much work he did to memorize all of that. I don't know how he researched it. I'd never put on any application form that I was born in Gambia or on, C or on my CV. I didn't think that was ever going to help me. Larry found it all out. And they gave me a nickname. They called me Mission Impossible. Because if it couldn't be done, Larry gave it to me and I got it done because of those three or four minutes. It's amazing, the power of inclusion. That's such a 
inspiring and, and wonderful story. And one of the notes that I had before our conversation was, was something that your website says. And I think it's a perfect lead-in or follow-up from what you just said. It says, we all need something to believe in and something to belong to. We must try and create an environment where difference is both respected and valued and encourage different approaches that when added together can create vibrant and innovative teams. I wanted to ask, how do we as leaders help to create that environment? I'm going to restructure the question to say, how do we as leaders help to create that environment if we don't have an unbelievable memory and can make someone feel included in the way that he did for you? Do you know, just take the time. So to me, um, before we take on any assignment with any company, we ask for 30 minutes in the reception. Just give me 30 minutes in your reception. I'll sit down in your reception. And we tend to see two sorts of leaders. There's a leader that comes in that's staring on their mobile phone, reading emails that should never have been sent to them. And it takes them 20 seconds to get across reception. They get in the lift, they're still reading their phone. There's no eye contact, they speak to no one. There's a second sort of leader. But when they walk into reception, they know everybody's name. Hi, David. How's your son's bar mitzvah at the weekend? Hi, Margaret. How's your daughter's operation? And it takes them 15 to 20 minutes to get across reception. But they're creating an environment where everyone feels recognized, everyone feels valued. They're creating the role of the leader it used to be to be the cleverest person in the room, answer all the questions, dish out all the activities, dele delegate all the tasks. Today, it's to create an environment where others can flourish in, where everyone feels valued, where everyone feels as though their voice counts, that their opinions matter and that they're going to be embraced. When the leader walks in embracing everyone, you know the sort of cult you've just stepped into. Take the time for everyone. And we always think there's two things that we need to do now, especially given the pandemic. Look out for each other, look after each other. Look out for each other, look after each other. One thing that your work talks frequently about is when you're focused on diversity and inclusion, it's not simply the right thing to do, it's also the smart thing to do. And, and I would have to say personally, my experience has been that that approach that you describe has been abundantly true. It's, it's not just the morally right thing to do, it also makes you a better organization when you embrace different perspectives, backgrounds, different approaches. How do you make that case most convincingly to organizations that you work with? Look, it's, you're right. It's, it's no longer just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do but it's never been the easy thing to do. No one is born inferior or superior. No one is. But you know, our difference is our strength and our strength is our difference. Homogenous teams might be easier to align, easier to, to um, come to the same answers to, come to the same conclusions. It's easier to get to the right results when we're all from a similar background, from a similar education, similar type. But it's not the best solutions. It's not the best decisions. It's not the right outcomes. And McKinsey did some seminal groundbreaking research in March 2020, where they proved that if we look at diverse teams, especially at the top of the organization, they can add 34% to the bottom line, 34% uplift financially to the bottom line with cognitive diversity. 
we all come from different backgrounds. We look at the same problem through different eyes and we come up with differing solutions. Harder to align, harder to get to the same conclusion. But those outcomes are so much better. And now it's inarguable. It's not as easy. It's tougher. But isn't that the role of the leader? Isn't that what we promise our shareholders? Isn't that what we promise our stakeholders? To get to the best outcome we possibly can. Not the easiest. Diversity works. But remember, diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. Can you expand a little bit on that? And specifically, what's fascinated me about our audience when we hear from the people that listen to the show is we have some people that are much more senior in their career, much more farther along in their leadership journey, and some that are just starting out. Do you have different pieces of advice for leaders at different stages of their careers of how they can embrace diversity and inclusion? So if, if we break it down so that everyone gets it, diversity is being invited to the dance. Diversity is when you're invited to the party, then, you know, that's diversity. Being asked to dance is inclusion. And we think that, you know, getting, opening up the gates, opening up your recruitment policies, getting different sorts of people coming in is brilliant. That's great. But you've got to create an environment where they can flourish. It's not good enough just to get them in. You come from different backgrounds, you have different faiths, different, different learnings, different experiences, but the environment may have been set up for a completely different sort of person. We've got to work hard to ensure that environment embraces everyone, no matter where they're from, no matter what they're like. And we call it creating an environment of psychological safety. So there are some people who, if you ask a question, they're going to jump up and down and put their hands up and down. They're going to answer that question straight away and scream very loud. That's one sort. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you might have those who come from a completely different culture who may not want to speak out loud in a crowd. They may be more comfortable answering you privately. They may want some time to digest and think about it, maybe respond by email. We've got to create an environment where we cater for all those different styles. And there was a time where we shoehorned people to the job description. Now we make the job description malleable so it fits the person that joins. It's no longer the best person for the job. It's the best person for the team. And that gives us a completely different lens. And we've got to make allowances for all the different types of people that come in different shapes, sizes, packages, but each one of them bring something unique, special and different to the mix. And our job as leaders is to create an environment where they feel valued, embraced and celebrated. Your most recent book focuses on the strengths-based revolution. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and then what prompted you to write the book? So very straightforward, Matt, in that Everyone is brilliant at something. No one is brilliant at everything. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the two or three things we are outstanding at, and some people call them superpowers, some people call them gifts, some call them blessings, I call them spikes. The things we're outstanding at. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I went into work every day and the things that were asked of me were the things I was brilliant at? And what I... what the, got me to write the book was just 
the things I tend to do really well are the things I tend to enjoy, the things I tend to enjoy, are the things I tend to do really well. And having coached many fabulous leaders around the world, I soon realized that the best of the best of them are brilliant and only two or three things, but they're near Olympian standard them because they've fine tuned them, they've honed them, and they're outstanding at those two or three things. But they use the team to compensate for the things they're not so good at. They don't try and be brilliant at everything. That's a recipe for disaster. They try to be adequate at most things, but not brilliant. No one can be brilliant at everything. Sports teams, they worked this out years ago. Every, every player in every sports team is brilliant at one or two things, and that's why they play the position that they do. I've translated that into business. When we have our annual performance appraisal, it used to be, here's the two or three things you're outstanding at. Here's 125 things you're not so good at. Why don't we focus on the 125 things and get you to be adequate at those or average at those? Doesn't make sense. The route to the top for everyone starting their career is focus on the two or three things you are really good at. That's your route to the top. That's the accelerator to the top. It's for what you're going to be famous for, what you're going to be outstanding at, what you're going to be brilliant at, not what you're going to be average at. That's not going to get you to the top. So I wrote that book, Spike, which is all about identifying the two or three things you're outstanding at, fine-tuning them, making your spike spikier, and get to the top of the organization even quicker. That really resonates with me. And something that really made me look forward to this conversation is, is you've had the pleasure of working with some truly exceptional organizations and some unbelievably inspiring individuals. Is there something that you've taken out of one of those meetings that maybe you weren't doing before that you right away implemented into whether it was your routine, whether it was a question that you asked, whether it was some way that you showed up? Is there a memory or a story from an interaction at one of these great companies or meeting with one of these transformational individuals that forever altered the way that you approach things? It's a great question, Matt. Richard Branson. I'm interviewing Richard Branson. He was in Necker Island, the island he knows and owns in the Caribbean. I was in London where over a satellite, the Organizers booked it for an hour dead. We'd rehearsed a bit beforehand. It went really well. He came on and Branson has a stammer. Not many people know that. And he came up to speak. And as I introduced him, he came up and he stammered. He stepped back, composed himself, came again, stammered again. I do what most people do. I stepped in and started a conversation to take him away from the stammer. He said, no, stop. I'll do this wiped the sweat from his brow, stepped up. Six attempts, Matt. Six attempts before he did it. And the whole audience, you know, you're willing him to get there, willing him. It was just, I've, I've never seen anyone try so hard. And it just taught me, winners never quit and quitters never win. I, I, I'd never experienced anything like it. And you soon learnt why he's so successful. And it was unbelievable. And the audience with none of us in that audience remember a word of what he said. That's all we remembered. The six attempts to kick off a talk and he just, his stammer just wouldn't break. It was unbelievable. He said everything about the man. When you think about 
the world today, if you were a young leader or you were working with a young leader and you could snap your fingers and give them one or two traits that you think will be vital for them to succeed in the future, what are the one or two things that you think individuals should really focus on? I'd give them the book Spike, number one, Matt. That would be the first thing. But the second thing I said more seriously, I've never seen anyone hit their leadership potential without the intervention of a mentor. And I think step number one advice to everyone, go find yourself a mentor. Aim as high as you can. Aim chief executive, aim chairman, aim president. No one ever asks the really top bids. They think they're gonna say no. They're always gonna say yes, because no one asks them. Ask them for an hour a month, just an hour a month. Just give you a damn good listening to an hour a month. Build that relationship. Take ownership of organizing the meetings, setting the agenda, being able to ask the right questions and listen and listen again and listen yet again. The transformational advice you will get from a mentor who really cares, who gets to know you better each month, that's the accelerator to your career. And the last thing I would say, I would say that if I'm, doing, I'm conducting an experiment with six people in my office, they're, they're 21, 22 years old, straight out of university. And we're asking the question, can we transform their careers by giving them leadership development at the start of their careers, as opposed to 10 years later, 20 years later, right at the start? I'm watching them fly. Hmm. I am watching them just fly. So if, we, if you could intercept leadership right at the start of your career, I know what that's going to do for your career. And throw a mentor in as well and pick up a copy of Spike, nothing's going to hold you back. I don't want to back you into your next book or make you tell me what it's going to be if there's even one in, in production, but what are you the most curious about right now, either in the space that you operate or completely outside of the space that you operate on a day-to-day -day basis? So we're, I'm writing a, another book at the moment, and its working title is No One is Born a Racist. And we believe that if you've been taught to hate, you can be taught to love. So I'm writing a really optimistic book. I believe that, and you know, racism is so illogical that you can't have a conversation, you can't have an argument with anyone who's a racist because there's no logic there. But what we've seen and what we've experienced is most people, most people are good. Most people have really good intentions. And we think if intercepted with a proper, warm, loving embrace about the future we there's nothing we can't heal when we come together we're unbeatable and we think that if we can bring all of us together we're going to create a fabulous world for all of us diversity will be our strength and inclusion will be our power well that is a wonderfully optimistic um, and I believe it to be true place to shift to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And the first rapid fire question is this, if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? Optimism. And our final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Believe in yourself. Well, those are two wonderfully optimistic places to close us out. I've truly enjoyed the conversation today. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Matt, you'll get me at carryall.com. 
and you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Twitter, but you'll find everything you'll ever need to find about us on carryall.com. Perfect. Well, thank you for all of the wonderful insight and thanks to all of our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. Taking an extra minute to rate and review our show really helps out. And of course, we truly appreciate it when you share our show with somebody from your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our show on Instagram by searching for Learn to Lead Podcast. Our podcast is produced by Ability, which you can find by searching for Ability Leadership Development. And make sure you also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini-MBA, which is now entering its third year. This mini MBA is a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. We now have a robust alumni network and you can find more information at invitedmba.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. And I wanna thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.